So we've been in a series called Explore God these last few weeks. Big questions like, is there a God? What is our purpose in life? Um, last week we talked about why a good God would allow suffering and pain um, in this life. Some big questions. This morning we'll be talking about, is Christianity too narrow? Is Christianity too narrow? Uh, one of my favorite chores at home is folding laundry. It's folding laundry surprisingly enough. Why? Because I can do it while watching TV. Yes. And I feel like I've gotten pretty good at folding laundry. Sitting there, watching sports, folding laundry, it's great. The other day, uh, I, I got done folding laundry, worked really hard. I, I felt like I was very meticulous. I brought my A game that particular night. And I find Lindsay refolding what I had already folded. I'm like, honey, I've wor- I worked so hard to fold that laundry just right us right. She said, he, he, you're folding it the wrong way. There's a right way to fold laundry. Really? There's a right way to fold laundry? So she demonstrated how to fold the laundry correctly. And, um, and then she handed me the dreaded fitted sheet. Any men out there saw the fitted sheet? You guys over there, thanks. Yeah. I'll find you afterwards. We can do a little Folding the, the, the fitted sheet 101, but uh, apparently there's a, a right way to fold laundry. You know, as followers of Christ, we believe in God. We believe that the only way to God is through Jesus. But we live in a world, the reality is, the truth is, we live in a world where there's multiple ways to fold laundry. Are you with me? We live in a world that is pluralistic. We live in a world that is multicultural, multi-ethnic. Uh, We live in a world that's increasingly getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Why? Because we sit next to Hindus and Buddhists uh, and Muslims and Jews. Uh, We sit next to people uh, in our workplace, um, maybe in our neighborhood. We interact with people of other faiths and uh, and other religions. So this world is increasingly getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But there's this question out there, is Christianity too narrow? Is it too narrow? Tim Keller says this. He says the number one hang-up for skeptics regarding Christianity is exclusivity. Exclusivity. We live in a world that is all about being politically correct. So how dare, how dare we claim to have the one way to fold laundry? The one way to get to the top of the mountain, to get to God. It seems kind of arrogant, right? Kind of closed-minded, unfashionable to claim that we have that one truth, the absolute truth. Some people might say, oh, there's no absolute truth. And then our response would be, are you absolutely sure about that? Because it sounds like an absolute statement to me. So we live in this world where everything is relative. Whatever you feel, you know, however you feel, you know, it's great for you, and you can believe whatever you want to believe. We live in this postmodern society. It's all about equality. A few years ago, I was in Myrtle Beach playing golf with my dad. It was a great time. We sat down for dinner with a couple other guys, and uh, one of the guys asked me, I love this question, what do you do for a living? (laughs) You don't know what you just walked into. So I told him about how I was studying to be a pastor, going to seminary, learning about God, and I just found myself talking and talking and talking and end up sharing my faith with these guys across the table from me. And there was this pause. How many of you have experienced that little pause and conversation, Uh, maybe it's around family, you start talking about religion or politics, there's this awkward silence. 
And my dad, who was sitting there, you've heard me talk about my dad. I love my dad. My dad, who's in politics, says, so what do you guys think about Bush and Kerry? I'm like, oh my goodness, dad, I love you so much. But that was a moment. It was a dramatic pause. I just kind of left, left the message out there, and they were pondering it, and they were about ready to turn their lives around for Jesus and take that one way to God. So, what do you think about Bush and Kerry? I'm like, oh man. We joke about it now. But religion can be a barrier, right? If we're not careful, religion can be just this barrier, this thing that's out there, that's uh, this untouched subject. So here we are living in this pluralistic, multi-ethnic, multicultural society, yet we have this quote-unquote exclusive faith, which we'll find out later it's actually the most inclusive faith that we could ever have. We have this exclusive faith. How do we interact and live in this very inclusive culture, this inclusive society. Is it possible to have an approach uh, that is all-inclusive? Even though we firmly believe as followers of Christ that there's one way up the mountain to God. So how do we answer this question? How do we answer this question? Is it narrow-minded to believe Christianity is the only way? The first approach is a rational approach. It's a rational approach. So what is truth? Pontius Pilate asked that question. What is truth? Well, truth, simply put, is uh, something that corresponds to reality. Truth corresponds to reality. It just calls it what it is. It calls it what it is. This is a music stand, right? Music stand, music stand. Uh, you're sitting in a seat. Um, hopefully, uh, it's not raining out there, but if it, was, if it was raining, we would say, okay, I've got, I've got water on my, uh, coming down on my head, on my skin, it's raining, right? The truth corresponds to reality. Uh, now, listen to this. There's a non-contradiction law, uh, kind of the rule of non-contradiction. So if I say this is a music stand, but then John out there says, no, you know what, Heath, it's not a music stand. And John is firmly, firmly believing that it's not a music stand. Then we got a problem. We got issues. If it's raining, and then somebody says it's not raining, we we, we got a little argument here. We got to figure it out. It's a law of non-contradiction. Truth corresponds to reality. Hindus believe that their god is named Ganesh. They have a god named Ganesh, and then we we have a god who's named Yahweh. We we have a god who uh, who we can experience through a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Hindus believe in a God named Ganesh, and their God has an elephant head. Okay? Seems like two opposite things here. You can't have two objective truths saying the same thing at the same time. You can't have two objective truths saying, saying two different things at the same time in the same sense. Does that, does that make sense? Or is that, is that, is that really muddy? Two objective truths, two, two people saying two things about, about one, one, one thing, and they'd be totally opposite. Is it raining or is it not raining? Is this a music stand or not a music stand? What's the name of your God? Your God's name is Ganesh. My God's name is Yahweh. Native Americans believe that their God is the sun. We believe our God is a spirit. Two opposite things, a law of non-contradiction. Two objective truths saying two different things at the same time in the same sense. Muslims believe that Jesus was not the Messiah. They they believe that he was not a savior. They don't believe in total depravity. They don't believe that they're sinful. 
They believe that, that they may make mistakes. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that Jesus is God. And we need God because we are sinful creatures. Two opposite perspectives. One has to be true. The other has to be false. One has to be true. The other has to be false. What is the truth? Well, the best way to show that a stick is crooked, Dwight L. Moody says this, the best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or to spend time denouncing it, but to lay a straight stick alongside of it. So that's what we're going to do. Here's the spiritual approach. Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses, that you may know and believe me, God says, and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. There's two, there's two words that we find throughout the New Testament, two words in the Greek, monos and hen. Monos means one, hen means only, one and only. We find that throughout the New Testament. John 17, 3 and this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom, all, from whom are all things and for whom we, we exist. And one Lord, there's that word, monos, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, this is you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, everybody hold up one finger, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 1 Timothy 1.17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved and through the name of Jesus. Amen? Doesn't really leave room for anybody else. <laughs> you know? It's pretty clear here. We serve the one and only true God. You know, it's interesting that all these other religions claim to have the only way up the mountain. So all the other religions are exclusive in their nature. Where we got to be careful is that we have similar, we have superficial similarities with all the other religions. So if it's a slippery slope to just remain on the surface, and okay, there's some similarities there, but fundamentally, they're different. On a fundamental level, Christianity is different from all other religions. Why? Because we believe that Jesus is God. We believe that, he, that God is the only true God. And we believe that there is one way to God, and that is through the cross, that is through Jesus Christ. One and only true God, Jesus. Uh, one of the most familiar passages in Scripture, John 14, 6, I think is best illustrated by this comic strip. Check it out. Wife and husband in a car. I told you to ask for directions. We've never been there, have we, fellas? You know, it takes real men to stop and ask for directions. Uh, and he says, but I thought all roads led to God. You see the sign there, only way to God across the bridge 
which is Jesus. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we have directions all throughout the scripture that say God is the only true God and that the bridge to heaven is not through our own works but through the work of God through Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Now I believe that there, there are three distinctions and we'll see in 1 John 4 there are three main distinctions between all the religions and Christianity. It's really important because we every day find ourselves crossing paths with people of other faiths and other religions and it's really important that we as followers of Christ know who we're following and that we're firmly rooted in our faith because what we believe impacts how we live. And earlier we sang about we sang about uh, meeting God in heaven. We sang, and, and Michael mentioned uh, our beloved friend Tom Wright and just knowing where we're going to be for eternity. And there's a sense of urgency when we have the only true God in our hearts. There's a sense of urgency every day to make him known with our lives. You see, being a Christian isn't just coming and going and checking the box and showing up on a Sunday maybe volunteer a little bit, maybe write a check here and there. Being a Christian is being all in because God was all in for us. He sacrificed everything to get to us. It's not about us trying to get to God. It's about just every day falling more and more in love with a God who sacrificed everything for us, the one and only true God. Okay, back to the three distinctions. The origin of our salvation. Origin of our salvation. Let's read in 1 John 4, 1 through 2. Dear friends, dear Spring Branch, do not believe every spirit. So spirit is just another word here John, John uses for just any other religion, any other belief system out there in the world. But he challenges us to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Everybody say, from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. You ready? On the edge of your seat. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I'll say that again. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. There's that phrase again, from God. What is the origin of our salvation? What is the origin of our faith? It's from God. Every other religion's founder is a human being. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, they're all founded by a human being. Our religion is founded by God. Jesus was from God. Jesus was somewhere before he was born. He was from God, Yahweh, our creator. Our religion was birthed out of the God of the universe, the one who created each and every one of us. We believe in a spirit who is from God. That's the, that's the major trump card here. That Jesus was from God. It wasn't, it's not a man-made religion. And by the way, God didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a relationship. 
See, true religion is a loving God's search for man. All the religions out there are all about man's search for God. There's an image of a mountain I'm sure you've all seen. God's at the top. Man, don't all roads lead to heaven? I mean, there's a lot of good people who are Hindus and Buddhists. and You know, don't all roads lead to God? If you're basically a good person and do good things for other people. Andy Stanley says being good isn't good enough. You see, at in our, in our heart of hearts, we are sinful, fallen human beings that desperately need a perfect God to sacrifice his life for our sins. For the wages of sin is death. We all deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. See, what's interesting is that all the roads start at the bottom and work their way up to God because they're man-made roads. They're man-made roads. You see, it's arrogance to believe that you have the only that you have the only way if it's a man-made road because you've made it yourself. This is this is the way. All of religions say that because a human a human created their religion. So it's a man-made religion. I've got this man-made way up to God. That's arrogance. It's humility. It's humility to trust in the God the God-made road. See, there's a road that starts at the top and comes down to us at the bottom, to earth. The Lord became flesh and dwelled among us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, there's those words again, hen and monos, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's not about us working our way to God, it's about God doing everything to get to us through Jesus. That's the gospel. True religion is God's search for man, not our search for him. I just want to encourage you to stop trying to earn your salvation. The bill has already been paid. Stop trying to pay for a meal. It's already been paid by somebody. Just live in that truth, that reality, that the ultimate bill has already been paid for you through Jesus. Back to the origin of our salvation. It's like a father, a loving father reaching down into this lost, broken world and, and help, helping his son or daughter up. Uh, the other day, we celebrated Lila's fifth birthday. She's been rounding up for the last six months. Um, we, we, we round down, don't we? Yeah. She, she was rounding up, and grandparents were in town, so they went out and bought uh, a bicycle for her. And uh, it's a little too big, but she was determined to ride it through the hallway of our condo, and um, and she, you know, sure enough, fell over. She couldn't, she couldn't stop. She fell over. The bike fell on top of her, and she's kind of trapped. Her leg is, is, is lodged, uh, you know, with, within the bike, and she's crying out, Dad, 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 Dad. So I run over and kind of peel her off the bike and kind of wipe, wipe her off, dust her off, and put her in my arms, and she's still crying. And she's like, I love my bike. I love my bike. Um, True religion is a father who runs passionately and persistently to his kids and helps them up, reaches out a hand and helps them up and dusts them off and puts, puts them into his arms. That's, that's the true religion, the one and only true God initiating his love to us. It's not, it's not man, if, if we as humans can just live 
uh, a good enough life and just smell good enough. It just kind of wafts up to God and he fills his nostrils and he smells something good and he's like, okay, all right, you've lived a good enough life. I'll love you and I'll save you. No, no. Don't get caught up in man-made religion. God cares about your heart, not your performance. He cares about your heart that is surrendered to him. Our lives should be one big response to what he has done for us. The origin of our salvation isn't in our works, isn't in how well you perform or how much you succeed in life or how many good deeds you do. It is about a passionate God who does whatever it takes to find us, to save us, and to rescue us. The origin of our salvation is is the first distinction. It's what separates Christianity from any other religion, is that we serve a God. We believe in a God. He's the one who started this whole thing, this relationship we can have with him. The second distinction is that phrase that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, the purpose of our salvation. What is the purpose of us being saved? What is the purpose that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? John 1.14, the word became flesh. He put on skin and bones. He moved into our neighborhood because he loved us so much. He put on skin and bones and he walked among us and talked among us for 33 years. No other religion can claim a God who loved us so much that he put on skin and bones and he walked among us on this earth and got into our trenches and our mess. Christianity is about a God who got down on his knees and he washed our feet. He got our sin all over him. He who knew no sin became sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might become right with God. He became in the flesh. In the flesh. I love this because every other religion is about how we can escape this world and get from here to there. How can we escape this flesh, this fallen crazy world? How can we get from here to there? What are the things we can do? What's our checklist of things we can do to get from here to there and escape this crazy, terrible world? But Christianity is about how we can redeem the flesh, how we can restore the flesh, how we can redeem and restore this broken world. I love that. We're in the business of restoration. We're in the business of redemption. We're in the business of helping rescue people in this world from their darkness, from their hurt, from their misery. We can give them a hope that Jesus can provide. And so the fact that Jesus came in the flesh demonstrates his commitment to this world, to this life we have here on earth. How dare we make it a ticket to get from here to there? That's the half gospel. The whole gospel is how we can get what is there in heaven here. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Yes, eternal life, the destination, heaven is important, but how are you living a full, abundant life here on earth? How are you helping restore this earth and restore people's lives with the hope of Jesus? The Lord's Prayer, right? May God's will be evident here on earth. Your will on earth as it is in heaven. How can you 
allow heaven to crash into earth in everyday relationships. Your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your coworker, your relationship with your neighbors. How are you the hands and feet of Jesus in the flesh helping restore people's lives and redeem people's lives to the love of Jesus? In the flesh. That's the purpose of our salvation. Yes, to get from here to there. That's so important. And we love that Tom Wright is in the arms of Jesus right now. But how can we give people a taste of heaven here on earth in the flesh? Yeah, I love what our church is doing in Togo, giving water to people, clean water to people where otherwise they'd have to hike miles and miles and miles and get this diseased uh, water that uh, they can't really drink. And Man, how cool is it that Michael went over there a few weeks ago and that we're partnering with organization there to provide clean water for people because we believe that right now matters. Our lives here on earth matter. And that God has given us a purpose to help others, to serve others. I love what we're doing at Jaycox in Norfolk, this Title I school. We're mentoring kids and teaching them math and English and, and we're showing the love of Jesus. Every week we have 25, 30 people going over there and tutoring kids. Why? Because it's not just about how to get from here to there and escape the flesh. It's about how we can get heaven here in everyday life. First John 4, skipping ahead a few verses. The origin of our salvation, the purpose of our salvation, two, two clear distinctions, two truths that separate our faith from any other religion. 1 John 4, 9, the third distinction, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is how God showed his love, the method of his salvation, the method of the salvation that originates from God is love. It's love. No other religion can claim that. Love, that's, that's the method that God chose to save us. Love. Isn't it a great story that there was this God who loved us so much that he, that he, he was this heroic, uh, he, he heroically came to earth and he, and he saved us and rescued us on the cross from our sins. I love that. I mean, some other, other religions say, you know, Jesus was just a good teacher. He was just a, a good, good moral guy. That's not a very good story if God sent somebody else to do the dirty work. God sent himself. God became flesh and dwelt among us. What a great story that is. The greatest story ever told that God loved us so much that he came himself to, the, to, do, the, the, to do the dirty work and to save us. That's true love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 it is by grace through faith that we've been saved, not by our works that we may boast, but by grace through faith. Titus 3.5, it is not because of our, our great works, but because of his great mercy. Yes, we want to live a good life. Yes, we want to be compassionate towards others and serve others. But not because, not because we have to to earn our salvation. 
Well, because it's a natural overflow, it's a response to what he has done for us. As I have loved you, you must love others. Every other religion says do. Our religion says done. Jesus, on the cross, the last three words, he says, it is finished. It is finished. Stop trying to finish something that's already been finished. Rest in that grace. Rest in the truth that the ultimate bill has been paid. It's like you had this billion, billion dollar debt, and there was no way that you could pay it. But somebody stepped in the last second and said, you know what? I'll pay it. Though that person over there committed a crime called sin, I'm going to step in here, God says, and I'm going to take the debt on my shoulders. I'm going to pay for it. In fact, I'm going to lay down my own life when this person deserves a death penalty because of their sin. As the God of the universe, I am going to lay down my life for you. That's true love. Why would there be any other way when somebody spills their precious blood for you? When somebody spills their precious blood for you, why would there be any other way to God? If Jesus is the only way, we must love in every way. See, I don't think Christianity is too narrow. I think our love sometimes is too narrow. How do you love people? See, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to love everybody always, as Bob Goff says. We must love everybody always, no matter their skin color, no matter their ethnic background. A few years ago, I found myself in California with Lindsay studying uh, in seminary, and uh, we, we stepped out of our little uh, cultural cocoon, our little cultural cul-de-sac, if you will, and there we were, Southern California, melting pot of all different uh, faiths and religions and uh, all different ethnicities, and there we are, living right in the heart of this, uh, of, of, of this pluralistic, uh, multicultural society. And uh, every day I would walk to class, and I got to know this guy named George. He lived behind the library, right, right behind our condo, and uh, I got to know him a little bit. I'm not going to lie, at first I was a little scared by him, and it was stepping out of my comfort zone to actually say hi to him and start talking to him. But uh, through every conversation, God broke down these walls. And I admit that I, I'd worked up some, some, some walls between me and people that were not like me, people that didn't look like me or talk like me. And if we stay in our own little safety net, our own little comfort uh, zone, it's scary, but we can easily condemn people or judge people who don't look like us or talk like us. And our love can become very narrow and very selective. But through this relationship with George, God God broke down the walls of my own heart and just opened up my heart in a new way. And um, he couldn't hear very well. It turns out he had too much wax in his ears. <laughs> but I ended up sharing my faith with him. And while I was there in Los Angeles studying the Bible, learning how to be a pastor, it was this beautiful relationship I'm so thankful that I had because from that day forward, I just see people differently. I try to see people the way God sees them. And it had this wide open, big, deep love for people, regardless of what they look like or talk like. Here's a challenge for you. Pray for them. Stay with them. And say to them, who's that one person in your life? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody in your family. 
And your love has been narrow. Your love has been kind of selected. Your love has just been in your own little comfort zone. And it's been a convenient kind of a love. But uh, what if you started praying for this person and praying for an opportunity to say something to them? Stay with them, meaning, you know, develop relationships, spend some time with them. But then at some point, give the reason for the hope that you believe in. Tell them about the origin of your salvation and the purpose of your salvation. Love them with mercy and with compassion and just see what happens. That's the challenge this week. Who's that one person? Pray for them. Stay with them and say to them. And remember that if Jesus is the only way, we must love people in every way. May you remember that we have a God who sacrificed everything for us. just want to encourage you to take a step today. Take a step today towards your Savior. God, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that, that uh, th- there is one way. And that when we fall in love with you, God, it produces the most inclusive loving, accepting, forgiving behavior and lifestyle. It's no accident that when people are truly in love with you, that those very people sacrifice the most. Those very people go the extra mile. Those very people are tender and loving and compassionate uh, towards others. God, thank you that, that we get to serve you each day, that we get to cross paths with all different people each day. And we have an opportunity to share the hope inside of our hearts. God, though we have a one-way, supposedly exclusive belief, may we live in a generous, open, loving, forgiving way towards others. God, if you're the only way, may we love others in every way we can. God, over the next few minutes, may we ponder and reflect on your deep, wide, big, never-breaking, never-stopping, always-and-forever, never-ending love you have for us.